Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krauss and I hope you're doing well, that you're staying happy, healthy and safe. I have a super interesting show for you today, but we have to do some setup, or should I say startup, before I let it rip. Do you remember that sound? That was the BlackBerry startup from the BlackBerry Torch 9800. It's hard to remember now, but there was a time when we were not tethered to our smartphones. A new film, BlackBerry, starring Jay Baruchel and Matt Johnson, and opening in theaters on May 12th, vividly recreates the scrappy story of friendship, betrayal, and hubris that began our obsession with our phones. Today, we're going to focus on the BlackBerry story. Yeah, what can I do for you? Okay, picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing. There is a free wireless internet signal all across North America and nobody has figured out how to use it. It's like the force. Sorry, have you seen Star Wars? No. That guy is sketchy. I don't think he's sketchy. The guy's a shark. I know how to market it, and I know who we can sell it to. But I want 50% of the company, and I've got to be CEO. I don't know who you think you are, but deal. There was a time when the Canadian-made odd little phone with the QWERTY keyboard, encrypted messaging, and low data cost was a status symbol used by some of the world's most powerful people. In the hands of everyone from President Barack Obama and Justin Timberlake to Katy Perry and Vogue editor-in-chief Anna Wintour, the phones helped the world communicate in a whole new way. They were the original smartphones, which makes their Canadian creators, Mike Lazardardis and Doug Fregan, visionaries, the men who gave us the future. Recently, I sat down with BlackBerry co-creator, co-star, and director Matt Johnson and Jay Baruchel, who plays the awkward genius behind the BlackBerry tech, Mike Lazarditas. Matt is the director of The Dirties, which won Best Narrative Feature at the Slam Dance Film Festival, Operation Avalanche, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, and the mockumentary television series Nirvana, The Band, The Show. You know Jay from his voice role as Hiccup Haddock in How to Train Your Dragon, and for roles in Knocked Up, Tropic Thunder, The Trotsky, Fanboy, She's Out of My League, Goon, This is the End, and the action fantasy film The Sorcerer's Apprentice. You can also see him as the host of We're All Gonna Die, even Jay Baruchel on Crave. But BlackBerry isn't just a business story or the story of innovation. Instead, it's an underdog tale that emphasizes the human foibles that led to Research in Motion's downfall, and not just the financial ones. We began the interview with the idea of talking about the film, which was what we were all there for, but were soon sidetracked by a discussion inspired by the lessons learned from the film, about what it means to be Canadian, why we don't celebrate our own stories, and much, much more. Stay tuned. It often doesn't sound like an interview as much as it does a conversation that we might have had over a drink or two. Like the movie we were supposed to concentrate on before the conversation took a few left turns, the interview is passionate, patriotic, funny, and not quite what you would expect. Here's Matt Johnson and Jay Baruchel of BlackBerry, which will be in theaters on May 12th. Well, thanks for doing this. Thank um, you for having us. Yeah, it's, man. It, it would... I would take it very personally if you didn't talk to us. <laughs> well, they showed us the movie on Monday, uh, and it's great. Oh, wicked. Thank you. Yeah, the movie's great. And I'll tell you, I wasn't expecting uh, to get caught up in the um, in the anxiety 
of it as much as I did. The the opening hour, every time an easel fell down, <laughs> every, every time, uh, you know, Mike... Jay's character was lost for words or went back into his head. It just made me so anxious because this is, uh, a, 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 you know, the, this creation you're about. You don't know mm -hmm. it yet, but you're about to change the world. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. <laughs> and the movie does a really great job, I think, of just keeping you on that precipice mm. where in that first hour, man, I, I I was almost like, I don't know how much more of this I can it's, take right away. It's, when you go to watch <laughs> this movie, it's you don't expect that. That one of the major vibes is going to be like Battle of Algiers, yeah. right? And yeah. like that's like a, and I find that that's like a that that is a spirit in our movie. I think it's like far more uh, tense and suspenseful than 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 you'd think it would be. Yeah, and so tell me, Matt. Then you co-wrote this. You're in it. Uh, you directed it. Uh, tell me about connecting with this story. How did how did start right at the very beginning, I guess. How did you sign up to do this? Well, originally it was just read this book. Do you think there's a movie here? Uh, but what connected me to it, and, and you may be interested in this, is that I kind of saw the spirit of young business entrepreneurship, like very first project, a bunch of guys in a room trying to do something interesting as very similar to what my life was like as a filmmaker. I was going to ask you about this, right? Because you've got this amazing... Uh, in the movie, this amazing collaboration happening. There's a lot of people playing just outside the lines a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, and, and breaking the rules, but with a really clear kind of idea of what they wanted to do. And I thought there's got to be a parallel there. Somewhere. It was the only reason I, I decided to make the film was because I thought, here's a way that I can exercise some of my past as a filmmaker and deal with the issues that I still hadn't dealt with psychologically about having even a minor success and how that changes friendships and changes your life. And specifically, how far are you willing to compromise on your own morals in order to do what you think is the right thing and how you can be wrong about that? And I think I see these three characters, Doug, Mike, and Jim, as a kind of a central piece of my own psychology because I don't think any one of them are wrong. I think each of them are right in their own way, but they're not all the way right. And so this was this was my way of wrestling with that as a filmmaker, because I, too, am a perfectionist, very ambitious, but also want to have fun. Mm -hmm. And keeping those in balance is, I think, the secret to a to a healthy life. But do you think, though, you say that they're not wrong. No one's completely all the way wrong. But man, it's got to be hubris. It's got to be ego. Is there that lots of stuff ambition came and 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 dragged them down a little bit, I would think. Oh, right? big time. You, yeah. I mean, look, the fact is I think there's a Pygmalion uh, uh reference here where Mike Jay's character fell in love mm -hmm. with the statue he sculpted. I think he falls in love with his own creation to the point where he's not able to admit that anything could ever be better. And Sorry, no. No, no, well, no, but yeah, absolutely you see that. And you see that through a, a couple of ways that are subtle and great. So Jay's character, Mike, goes through so much of a change during this film. And it and it happens kind of gradually, but then you see it. All of a sudden you're wearing suits. All of a sudden your head's held a little higher. All of a sudden your body language changes. Yeah. And you're taking charge in meetings. And when you guys uh, gather together to watch Steve Jobs unveil the, uh, the iPhone. iPhone. Like, yeah, this is ridiculous. This will never fly. Uh, right? Yeah. To me, to me, it's like, I, in addition to the sort of uh, story of kind of friendship and this band of brothers, kind of lost boys sitting out to kind of put the world to rights stuff, I also think there's a kind of a larger kind of uh, truth contained within it, which is like... Um, 
what happens at the, the the clash of kind of like uh good faith Canadian entrepreneurship mm-hmm. uh is when it's faced with laissez faire capitalism it's almost like we start on a hill right <laughs> and gravity is pulling us down towards this sort of lowest common denominator that will inevitably end in sort of mass production and all of these th- you know and just a and and mediocrity and uh, planned obsolescence and you know that that um that that is the only place a business can possibly go. And so it seems like you watch these guys having this kind of uh, fight uh, to maintain. It, it, it is a fight to maintain soul and consciousness. And product and, quality. And, and product well, yeah, quality. Literally, let's not make this in China. Yes. Let's not sell it to too many people There's because then there won't be enough bandwidth, all that kind of stuff. They're is trying so to keep it local and small. Yeah. But the brain drain, it's the same truth. It's the same... It's the same um, uh, unstoppable force that is pulling, 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 pulling our, our our brightest, strongest elements out of our out of our culture and has done for you know since for the entirety of our existence. It's almost like it, it, it strips us of our nutrients. And so this is a story of like this Canadian vitamin that's probably going to be good for the world, and no matter what is going to get stripped by this giant, you know. Uh, what do you call it? Slurry. Yeah. Slurry of, of American <laughs> greed. Well, interesting to hear both of you talk about this in this way, because both of you seem like you fought against that. So the dirties comes out. It's a big hit. There's, you know, I'm reading about you in the Globe and Mail. I'm, you know, there's, you're everywhere. You're making inflammatory comments that are getting you lots of publicity. Ah, uh, the good old days. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> but, but you're probably, though, at that point also, like, uh, getting offers to do stuff that would destroy you in your soul, but plump up your bank account a little bit. Well, certainly the, the pressure that I saw this film facing that I identified with most was that of changing who you are in order to fit into a larger system. And after The Dirties was made, the pressure that was put on me to just move to the United States on its own was so massive that I was seen as a fool not to do it. Like I was seen as a fool. And I, I don't know what the right decision was. Right. I mean, yeah. maybe I should have done this. Well, but Blackberry suggests that you're on the right path. Here, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, but it's because I didn't want to have to, at least at this, not at, not at this point in my life, I didn't want to have to do what Mike had to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the choice that Mike had to make in this film was so painful for him, but he was put into a corner and thought, well, this is all I can do. And I'm trying my best to avoid that because I mean, I love it here. Yeah. Well, Jay, I've known you for a long time mm-hmm. and, and, Ever since I've known you and, you know, we've been doing this together, Mm -hmm. we've hosted, you know, Mm -hmm. Q&As, we've done all this stuff, and you've always done what you wanted to do. It feels to me anyway that you have tried anyway to do exactly the thing that you wanted to do and fight against all of that. Yeah, Yeah, um, uh, arguably uh, to my detriment sometimes. Um, But again, I didn't have a choice. So it's it's like I mean I, I we all have choices but what I mean is um my my kind of uh I don't want to say my beliefs. I don't want to get all hoity-toity and imply a sort of moral distinction but um my wiring wouldn't allow me to do an, the other thing. Yep. And I see um there's this like you know, my publicist uh, Lewis is standing there and there is this one year about 10, 12, 15 years ago where I had five movies come out in one year. I remember year. it well. I remember and, it well. And it was like, okay, we're going to get you stylist and you're going to go for the brass ring, right? And um, when I look at photos of myself, 
like I look at photos of myself from the Tropic Thunder premiere yep. and I look like <laughs> and I and I and I and I remember I had this moment a few weeks ago I, this photo came up in my life and I was like god I look terrible and I remember like why do I look terrible I was like I remember because I didn't want to put effort in because to put effort in when it would mean to care about that I just it was a machine I didn't want to interact right. with and so you see me in these you one if they were to go down this rabbit hole yeah. would see me in interviews and on red carpets and it, it looks like I'm trying to get myself um, fired or or kicked <laughs> off kicked off this this machine called stardom in Hollywood like I did everything uh, in my power to self-sabotage myself and I realized only years later what that was it was I, I couldn't stomach it I, I tried I remember having a conversation with my agent being like well if I'm here I might as well go for it and I want to read whatever Gyllenhaal's reading and I can I can uh, I'll, I'll act circles around him just give me a f shot right this competitive side of me but I didn't actually want it and I remember getting ready to do the She's out of my league press tour with that fellow right there, and it was lovely hanging out with him. But I remember the week or two before that, I felt myself going on this roller coaster, and I couldn't get off, and I didn't have to be there. Right. I chose to be there, and I, you know, and um, so I just was like, for me, it's like it's, it, and also when it when I started to kind of. Uh, uh, right and direct, which is closer to my heart, you know, and, and so that's the other thing. I was do I was also doing it for a thing that wasn't my like raison d'être, right. which makes it even harder. And so when I started to kind of create and write and direct stuff, um, I it was clear to me that um, I would want to make stuff here um, for a bunch of reasons, but like kind of the most important one is if I make stuff down there. I might have sometimes a more direct shot at it reaching a, a wider audience, potentially, potentially, mm -hmm. very potentially. It's very conditional, this stuff. Um, people always act like it's easier one place or the other. It's also conditional, yeah. right? So, um, but I could potentially have a direct line to people, a bunch of people seeing my but at the end of the day, what will I have contributed to? I will have been one other uh, sort of Canadian dropped into this vat yep. of, of of Western culture, of American culture, you know, and and um, and I will have left. What will I have left behind? I will have contributed to a, another to another culture and a culture that doesn't need me to contribute it to it. It's fine. It's healthy. It's got enough people creating in it. I want to know that. In 200 years, if there's no such thing as Canada, I want to know that uh, movies or literature were left behind, that I was part of uh, adding, that I added one strand to this tapestry that my of a country that my, my granddad left his family in 39 and, and, and fought for, fought five years to protect. You know, I believe in Canada. I want to participate in Canada. It just so happens I have the curse of liking movies. And so, uh, so he and I are in the same boat in that respect. But I also, if I can for a second, let me digress real, 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 real quick, which, which is there is a um, really toxic kind of school of thought up here that says that, uh, um, you know, it's easier to get made in the states because all they care about is making stuff they don't have to answer to as many sort of masters as we do or something like that and i just want to tell anybody that that subscribes to this fallacy um there are a hundred times as many uh people down there yeah. okay um there are a hundred times as many producers and there are a hundred times as many people telling you they can fund a thing, right? You never have a bad meeting down there. No such thing. You walk out of no every such meeting thing. in America. Every meeting is positive in the States. Yeah. It's sold, yeah. And, and, by the way, that money goes away like that. Mm -hmm. Somebody can promise you a million and it disappears within a week. I'll tell you that up here, 
when that money is given to you, it's given to you because it's from the government and it's protected and they want to foster our culture. So, you know, leave, go wherever you want to go, but don't kid yourself into thinking that it's harder here than elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It is inherently hard because we picked the most expensive medium in the history of art to (laughs) create in, right? movie you saw cost somebody hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah. right? What's the most expensive production cost of a painting? Like, right. what's the best paint, <laughs> best easel, best, you know, all that <laughs> couple thousand, yep. Yeah. right? The shittiest movie costs hundreds of thousands. <laughs> it's not easy to make a movie anywhere, right? But when it picks you, that's it. Yeah, well said. I, it's completely true. And this idea that this is one of the few art forms that to practice costs hundreds and hundreds of <laughs> hundreds thousands. Hundreds of thousands of dollars like at you, the minimum. Yeah, you don't get to practice it no. on your own, yeah. um, which makes it a pretty rarefied job. Correct. Yeah. And then and then when it's time to go, you just f- go yeah. because you might never get to go again because people don't just spend that money every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sad, I, sad I, reality. I always think whatever project that I'm doing, and uh, books mostly for me, yeah. uh, that it's going to be my last one. Yeah, of it always feels, it feels to me like, like it's always going to be. That's, that's it's going it. to get taken away. Yeah. You know what? I For some reason, my producer, Matt Miller, says this exact same thing. Um, he wants to take every deal. He's like, let's just agree. Let's just take it. And I guess I must be brain damaged in some way because I'm always like, eh, we're going to get all kinds of opportunities. Let's just say no. Let's just say no. And I think that that creates a healthy balance. Both, again, almost like the three characters in Blackberry. Like, I think you need both psychologies active at the same time. I will never work again. And I have the rest of my life to do whatever I want. He's absolutely right. Because the minute that you need them more than they need you, you're Yes. Right. And so the samurai that like ceases to fear death becomes invincible. Right. And so you've just like, it's, it's Dustin Hoffman in the making of, um, What's the uh, uh, Runaway Jury? In right. the making of Runaway Jury, the first time him and Hackman work together, and they do an interview in the making of where he says, to this day, every time a job ends, I think it's the last time I'll ever get hired. So that is just inherent in freelance art as yep. a job, I think. But you've also you've also got to be willing to play chicken. Like, I would... You, you, you've got to be willing to sell your house to make your movie, yep. and you've also got to be willing to say no to a thing if you think you, you're not going to be the guy. And you learned that I think probably around that period where you were unhappy on red carpets, yeah. you know, walking up and down red carpets and, and all that. I remember that year so well. It seemed like every time I turned around, <laughs> we were talking about yeah. a new movie, right? Yeah. And and I didn't get the sense that, that you were so unhappy because I was mostly talking to you here. Yeah. Uh, maybe down there it was a little different, yeah. but, but you've learned that and you seem to just have it inherent in you, Matt. Uh, well, look, I mean, I was never so blessed as to have been given five movies in one year. So I think I'm in, in a slightly different position. Uh, I, I feel grateful that I can make movies with my friends. And I think the Doug in me is like, well, I, I will probably always be able to work at a low enough level that that like I'm happy with nothing. Yeah. You understand? Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in having a glamorous life whatsoever. I much prefer the 1996 version of Research in Motion than the 2007. <laughs> yeah. And I'm happy with that. I've got very few friends, and I really love them. And yeah. I love Toronto. Same. I love in this little part of town that I don't really need to leave. So it's not like I can get tempted with jewels to leave my cave. 
You know, I'm 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 Same. sitting I'm well sitting said. on a real mountain. So I I I, I mean may, maybe my life will change, um, and and all of a sudden I I will feel like I need to be making way more ambitious projects. But I'm lucky enough that the small films that I've made and Blackberry is a very small film. I mean by international standards. I mean this is a it was in American money is like a five and a half million dollar movie. Like this is the type of movie that's so small, most American production companies wouldn't even make it. Right, because they're not going to make a billion dollars on exactly. it when it opens yeah. the theaters. Yeah, and even even though it's existing IP too, which is all that seems to matter now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, again, I think that uh, if it, filmmaking, like any art, is a job that if you can have it fit your lifestyle, you really get to live like a king. Yep, agreed. Let's talk about the Canadianness of the film because I've read Matt that you didn't want to make it earnestly Canadian in whatever that means. And I love, Jay, that you, at one point, it said, a title card comes up and it says, uh, Windsor, Canada. No, no, Waterloo, Waterloo, Waterloo Canada. And you're like, absolutely not. And uh, that is a pet peeve of mine. That is when, when people say, oh, uh, you're from Toronto, Canada. Yeah, right? I hate like, it. I'm I actually hate from it. Toronto, Ontario. Well, it. there was a great joke uh, that we were going to have Carrie Elwes do when he uh, arrived that was really going to like burn up both Jim and Mike, which is when he doesn't know where he is. And he's like, so where are we anyway? So is this... Are we in Toronto? And is Toronto, what, are we in the province of Toronto right now? Like just not knowing and, and just, but it was just way too, too broad. And I thought nobody's going to get this outside of Canada. Yeah. But the idea of America, cause you know, you've been to the States. People are like, oh, all right. Yeah. You're from like the province of Toronto or like uh, my, Toronto. My parents were American, right? We grew up in, uh, I grew up here. My brother and I were both Canadian, but my parents were American and my aunts and uncles would come and they'd drive down from wherever, the Kentucky or wherever they'd come. Do they, they would come down with uh, a trunks full of, like, peanut butter. Because, like, we didn't know what, if we could get it here or you not. Know, my, you my know, my grandfather on my father's side was worked for the Board of Trade of Thunder Bay. And he said, I, I, I said this recently, but he said, Canada's the best country in the world. we got a marketing problem. And that, did you know that there are more not adjusted for um, uh, per capita, but just raw numbers? There are more visitors from Canada into the United States than the United States into Canada, and they have 10 times our population. Yeah, Just in raw numbers. Yeah, I'm not surprised. More Canadians visit. Yeah. And and my grandfather used to say, it's because people think that when they cross the border, they're entering a different world. They mm -hmm. thought that, oh, you can't drink on Sundays, yeah, 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 like yeah, all yeah. these old puritanical rules that were just made folklore in the States. Like people don't realize. And they also, and they also seem to not realize um, the breadth the geographic breadth of right. the country. A lot of people see, like, I I hear uh, a lot of Americans say either when I'm down there or when they're up here working with me, but I hear a lot, of, oh, is that a Canadian thing? I say, well, what, I, it's hard to say because uh, the second largest land mass on earth with 40 million people, um, 7 million of whom speak a language that isn't English, uh, 7 million plus, yeah. right? So, so uh, uh, you know, I hate that. And I and it distills it, it. It says that all of this is one town, mm. and um, and Newfoundland has nothing in common with Montreal. Has nothing in common with Toronto. Has nothing in common with Winnipeg. Has nothing in common with Iqaluit, right? Um, and the fact that we have to say that, right? Like you know, uh, e even the Brits don't have to suffer that. 
You know, and every you know, and but it, it's self-inflicted. Oh no, it's all us. Yeah, right. Oh, okay, no, good. I want to make sure. It is all yeah. us. It yeah. is all us. That that's what makes it so bad. Yeah. And this is why we 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 inherit. I I often think because Scott Scots built this country. We're a far more Scottish country than English. Mm. You know, and uh, there's a great line in Train Spotting. You know, doesn't make you proud when they're at Arthur's Seat or whatever, and they go, "Doesn't make you proud to be Scottish?" He says, "No, it's shite being Scottish. We're the most like servile race. You know, like I don't hate the English." They're they're just wankers. We're the ones who got <laughs> conquered by wankers, right? So, so that's we we are kind of in that category of we do it to ourselves. Yeah, they don't care. They don't think about us at all. They are not Canadian centric. Mm-hmm. Nobody is more American centric than us. The North Koreans and the Cubans don't think about America as much as we f- do. <laughs> like legit, it's it's embarrassing, right? And and so our our self censorship coupled with our utter so, so we're desperate for their approval, but we're also desperately, we also desperately cling to our moral superiority and, and refuse to be them. Mm. And so this, this idea that like, uh, I hope they like us, we don't mind, but also we don't want to wave flags and fireworks and, and talk about that happened here, you know? And, and, and so it's this awful, like I would, of the two countries, <laughs> that's the other, that's the other problem. Whenever a Canadian, not whenever. But often Canadians, in trying to describe what it is to be Canadian, will say, well, we don't have guns. They will, they will start with the negative comparison to one country. They don't compare us to the world. We don't compare ourselves to the world. We compare ourselves to one f- country. And let me tell you that that one f- country never, ever, ever compares itself to us, yeah. aside from when some barbarian shoots up f- 30 people in broad daylight, then they have this like uh, fetishized uh, NPR version. Yeah, we're going to move to Canada. Yeah, we're yeah, going to yeah, move yeah. to Canada. Yeah, no, they love that. Gets yeah. elected again. We're they love we're moving to Canada. I know it's it's so condescending, isn't it? Yes, it's, it it's, it's so uh, funny. utterly utterly patronizing. You know? And I and I've even fallen prey to it, where I've even like helped put literature in, help point people in the right the ways of like the like, direction of proper government literature right. for that and stuff like. It's like you don't want to move. We we just. The only time we occupy any real estate in their mind is when something awful happens there and they hold us up as like a sort of impossible version of what they could be. Oh, yeah. Look at the utopia right. up there. Utter we have no idea. And it's why when we're making this film, we were not thinking about what it means to be Canadian. What we were thinking about is how can we really be ourselves mm, that's in the film. That's all and, it is. and Jay's being himself, although it's a portrayal of another man, a, a living person. He really is bringing himself to that role. I clearly am, am, am being myself. And Glenn, as Jim, it was a conscious effort to cast a hardcore American yeah. who was proud about being an American to play who, in my opinion, is a, a businessman who is a very proud patriot. Jim Balsillie is a very proud Canadian, but he really beat the Americans at their own yeah, game. Yeah, he's an American-style guy. Yes, by being American. Yeah. He, I, I, the, the joke that I tell, and, and it's kind of in the film, is that I think Jim Balsley's a guy who watched Wall Street, saw Gordon Gecko, and went, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, I, 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 like I like this guy. guy. Exactly. Yeah. He's kind of Donovan Bailey. Yeah. Right? Which is like, I, I, every once in a while, we get our son of a bitch, we get our Douglas MacArthur, uh-huh. and, and we're psyched about it. Because, because... They come so rarely. They come rarely, and it's nice to f- 
stick it to the big boys yeah. in the language that they understand. Yeah. You talk about uh, Jay bringing some of himself to the character of Mike. And I've got uh, this quote here from you, Jay, saying that you're a square peg. You're an inconvenient man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and and you, you, you feel I, that Mike was as well? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. The, 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 I'm such an arsehole. I hate having <laughs> read back to me that I said because like no matter yeah, what I, no I'm putting these that's notes not you Richard no, Jay, Jay, Jay it, that's a beautiful quote it's, it's, I really because I sound like an I always sound like a self-important no. and, and so but yeah the theory the theory of the inconvenient man for those who don't know it is the convenient man uh tailors himself to suit the world mm -hmm. and the inconvenient man tailors the world to suit him right and, <laughs> and that was Mike and, to a T and that was Lazaridis yeah. to a T to a T not not content to sort of uh, play the mediocrity game and make a bunch of, uh, you know, crap with planned obsolescence. He wanted to make, a, like, you know, your grandparents, my grandparents had one TV for my entire life, right? Yeah. And the thing worked the entire time, yep. you know, and they didn't have to keep on fixing it, you know? And uh, so he just wanted to make good because he came, he 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 came of age in a time with a, the, the beginning of the influx of, of poorly made crap. Uh, from from sweatshops on the other side of the world, and um, so yeah, I think he is he, he's nothing if not inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right because his way of doing things is not great for business, and I think yeah. that's why pairing him with someone like Jim Balsley is so important for the success of that company. Because if Mike had his druthers, I think that they would have workshopped that phone until they were like, okay, that's it. Now yep. we can move on. That's right. Yeah. Like, let's release this BlackBerry and move on to a new product because yep. this one's as good as it's going to get. Yeah. 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 Or, or taking so long that it never hit market. It never hits market. Yeah. Or the, the smartphone, the iPhone comes first. Yeah. And, well, and no, 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 that's impossible because those were all BlackBerry patents. That's right. So really, I mean, I, uh, it, at some level, one of the successes of the film in my mind is that hopefully it is educating the world on the, the yeah. fact that Canadians did invent yeah. the smartphone. It invented the future. Yes. yes. Listen, Gu Gutenberg here. Press. It's a it's the Gutenberg right. Press. It's huge, and these guys did not realize the scope of what they yeah. had built. I think ultimately it's their downfall. I don't think Mike Lazaridis nor Jim had great vision for a cultural product. I think they were really good at solving a problem six feet in front of their yeah, face. Yeah, they, they had myopia. Yeah. Well, how would you know that you're going to change the world? Exactly. You know, th there is no way that uh, that you know if this movie comes out and makes seven billion dollars, you're going to go. I didn't know. No. Yeah. Yeah. I well, well, we'd know. be about as shocked as anybody. <laughs> Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> no, though that's it, and 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 also, but then when 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 you're sort of first at bat, your first real one is yeah. kind of proven right. It's hard to accept anything other than that. Well, see, for me, I always think that failure is so important. Yes. Right. Fall down six times, get up seven, yeah. and that seventh time is hopefully when when it'll work for you because you learn something on all yep. those first six, and months. you learn when, humility, and you learn humility, and that is something that Mike Lazardidis didn't. He didn't learn, all. yeah, he and, didn't learn, and, and that was ultimately. I mean, imagine the idea that here's a guy who I read donated a uh, hundred and seventy million dollars in one year to various charitable causes, right. and then lost his company like a yeah. year and a half later, broke zero, it, nothing, crazy. Yeah. Now he's still let's sure let's he's, he's yeah. got money let's let's he, be he real. figured it out yeah. yeah he figured something out so but but absolutely yeah. and that speaks to that speaks to somebody creating uh, using their brain like a heart not a brain 
right. kind of, you know, and, and so he's using all of his intellect to create something beautiful, but it's coming from a sort of emotional, earnest place. And he really couldn't let things go. Right. Yeah. He was, he was prideful. I think that more than anything, the thing that bonded him yeah. to a guy like Jim, very proud they, both, they both were very proud. Yeah. They had a, so much pride that they were not willing, one, to admit when they were wrong. Mm. It's something that I think to this day, they're both criticized for. And two, that they lost the sense of play that I think brought them to where they mm. were, which allowed them to be teased, which allowed them to collaborate, which allowed them... To I mean, create, though. That's what, like, if you ever read The Artist's Way, that's what Julia Cameron it, oh, says. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know. Well, look, Jim, the note, it's not in the film, but Jim notoriously, when he was an undergraduate student at Victoria College at U of T, was teased incessantly and teased for being a small town guy, not being in a club. Mm. And then when... And then his big breakthrough, went to school with Adam McGoyan. When he had his big breakthrough as a person is when he started making fun of himself. And then all of a sudden he got entree into the big boys club. He could do impressions of professors. He could be funny. And and then people like, okay, you know what? This guy's okay. And then as soon as he gets some success, it's almost like he forgets all that and goes back to being like, I will not be teased for any reason. I got all this success to put me above that. And and, and ultimately, I mean, he never went to jail and he probably did okay at, oh, at yeah. the end but uh, as they all did um but you know uh, the the game that he loves hockey gets made fun of by yep. you know an, exactly. a, 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 by an American thing so yep. he tries to buy a hockey yes, team that's it's, right. it, which is ultimately i think what led to yep. a lot of the much of his downfall it didn't help. yeah it didn't much help. of his downfall uh, unbelievable but i would argue to the extent that you anyone believes this is an, a thing that had to happen it what what it did help was it did help um, refine and make more definitive English Canada's uh, sense of identity, I believe, because it's uh. also, and it's going to sound an, an insane thing, potentially insane thing, but I would argue that um, it's in the same era that Trailer Park Boys comes out, mm-hmm. and it's the same era that Goon comes out eventually, and then eventually creates Letter Kenny, um, and, and, all, and, and um, people were allowed to make being Canadian part of their brand, Drake is allowed to do that. Right. And, and I would you know, say I would include Rob Ford in that in that conversation uh, as well. It's it sort of to you're you're not wrong, yeah. man. And it's so so it is all it is it is um a, a, it, it is a sort of the growing pains of a juvenile country asserting itself. Mm-hmm. And even if it's to our detriment, ultimately, I think Canada is better for having Ball Silly occupied that space yeah. in 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 the public because for me. With no dog in the fight other than I want Canada to thrive and I want more hockey teams here. I was rooting for the guy. Right. Honest to God. <laughs> and I and I remember hearing from a very rich American dude, oh, he's doing it the wrong way. He, you guys will get a team, but not with him because he's doing it the wrong way. And I was like, oh, you don't like somebody else doing it the way that you guys do it. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, and, and so, he so, was supposed to come completely mendicant yes, with his hands out. Correct. Yeah. And so, like, e- even if he, like... Punched a dude. It's like this. It's like sometimes your dad gets into a fight at your like softball game, and your 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 mom's embarrassed, but you're f-ing super psyched. Like it's it's that. Like my, my my dad was a constant source of embarrassment to my mother, but to my friends and I, it was the best. Yeah. Because it was like that's our guy, and no one's gonna f- with us. And so it's like it is kind of a, a weird. I think history will be kind to that step. So do I, and I hope we get another one. Yes, you and me both. Yeah, and so what do you think then that yeah, the legacy sure. ultimately of BlackBerry is? We talk about it here a little bit, but you know, you Jay, I I read again. Yeah. Here's my notes rattling. <laughs> but 
that you didn't know it was a Canadian story. When no, no, I knew. Oh, I knew. I knew. I Glenn, absolutely. Glenn, yeah, Glenn, 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 Jim had no yeah, clue. Yeah, yeah. He had no idea. And I find that that's actually pretty common with Americans right. that they don't realize the Blackberry is a Canadian product. Oh, and I had a Blackberry until two years ago. Did yes, legit. Yeah. Look at these slums. I could never use one. They just, <laughs> it just never worked for me. <laughs> yeah, I adore the thing. I adore the machine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to, I think the, the legacy um, will be, well, it's hard to say. Uh, because we are, um, for 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 honorable, noble reasons, we are terrible at galvanizing or lionizing or making bronze our own history, right? And it, and it, and it doesn't have to have a good or bad POV to it. It's just sometimes it happened and it's worth talking about it because it happened. Mm -hmm. And we are terrible at talking about ourselves in this country. We don't want to. We really don't want to. Uh, especially, we don't want to talk about this stuff. Right. Um, and so I think the true legacy of BlackBerry is that it set the table for the way the people participate in the world and, and engage with one another in the 21st century. You know, um, and you can't take them out of that. But Will anybody remember that? Probably not. Well, who knows? I mean, enough people see the film. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it's one of the reasons that we decided to make the movie the way that we did is because we think that it's a big page in Canadian history. And I, I've said before publicly that I think that there is an argument for Mike and Jim being two of maybe the most influential Canadians who've ever lived yeah. simply based on the outsized influence of the smartphone. Yep. Well, and you brought that to a world stage at... Berlin. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I, I mean, I, oh, so I'm just, you know, flipping through variety so cool. and whatever. And then all of a sudden, I'm just seeing both of you all over it. <laughs> and it's the hit of yeah. Ber the Berlin Festival. Yeah. They South treated us Southwest. really well. Standing yeah. ovation, Richard. Yeah. It was pretty yeah. crazy. It was a lovely reception. Yeah. And we both thought, Glenn included, that the Germans were just not, we thought it was so idiosyncratic and that right. the way the characters speak with one another, not that it's in any kind poetic or anything like that, but that it was just going to be maybe a bit too punk rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And you know, just dirty and fun and accessible and, and, and maybe be taken as silly as yes. opposed to serious, right. but it was the exact opposite. Like it was, it was, it was really in, embraced in spite of the fact that let me tell you, like every movie is a magic show and right. for, for whatever the running, time is you are just trying to get people to stare here yep. look at my hat don't look over here don't look over here don't look under here look where i'm telling you to look so if you can keep people through 90 minutes that's a feat okay yeah. so our movie's two hours and change at minute like 87 88 at the berlin alla somebody in one of the balconies started screaming emergency emergency and they turned on all the lights and stopped the projector no for oh, 20 yeah. minutes half an hour yeah. at minute 87 88 yeah. like so and and so all of Matt's magic show we yeah. had kept their <laughs> tension and then all the of a sudden they're jumping out of the hat crazy it happened. It. Yeah. it was crazy. Some this older fella had a seizure. He ultimately was fine. Didn't have to go to the hospital. And now I can say, now that he's okay, I can say I'm mad that he didn't go to the f hospital. Because if you're gonna f up the movie like that, at least have the decency, at least get medical treatment. Yeah. get medical treatment. But we put the movie back on. And again, as soon as it came on, it had to be recalibrated. Right. So all of calibrations that him and Jared had painstakingly gone through the night before had to be quickly redone on the fly. So when it first turned on, we were all purple. <laughs> oh, God. But we got him back. Yep. And we got a five-minute standing O at the end, man. Yeah, it's crazy. In spite of that random-ass yeah. awkward interlude. Like, that is a testament to the flick 
you know, and a testament to how nice they, how kindly they, they viewed us. Well, it's got such great energy to it. The whole movie has this propulsive energy. Agreed. Uh, that, that keeps you going, and it grabs you from the very start. That's what MJ and, does. Yeah. Well, you know, I heard a philosophy when I was at, uh, I think it was the Viennale in Austria, and the filmmaker was quoting another filmmaker who said, I need to, um, I, the only films I care about are the ones that grab you by the throat and never let you go. Yeah. And that stayed with me because I don't think that there's any other way to do it. Yeah. That's just, it's just the most fun. But, but you do it in a kind of interesting way. So there's, there, it, it's propulsive. It feels like it's just constantly like a locomotive almost going through um, from the very beginning. But there's a ton of close-ups. You love close-ups. And that, I'm obsessed with them. But that means, though, what that tells me, though, is that you can keep that energy going through, but you never lose sight of the characters. We're still really in the faces of all the characters, and we're reading what's going on in their faces, what's going on behind their eyes. That's because so the actors were so good. you never lose the characters. Yeah. You never lose the character in and amongst the, the energy of the film. Well, what I love to do is set up a psychological problem for somebody and then watch it play out on their face. Yeah, and yeah. that's why I shoot in this kind of faux documentary style where at any moment my cinematographer, Jared, can just decide, okay, this is the moment and go from a master into a close-up in half a second. Because we don't know when Jay is going to change, yeah. right? Like we're shooting Jay and sometimes we're shooting a wide and then he's really deciding what he's going to do with the moment. And so when all of a sudden it turns into something critical, Jared just goes right in and, and you, combat you, photography, it, yeah. literally, yeah, yeah. literally it's, it's, it's a mix between that. Like we, we want to make it like a, like a DA Pennybaker style mixed with national geographic animal yeah, photography. Yeah. That Big is, lenses. You should see the <laughs> lenses and we never knew where the cameras were. That's the other cool thing. Oh. He would shoot us from two rooms over, like way far, through a bookshelf and shit. So super long lens, camouflage, like, yeah. Um, so then we are just kind of creating. Yeah. We're not hamming, we're not tailoring anything. We are just doing it. And he's capturing it. And very little rehearsal, I imagine. Zero. Just to make that work. No, no, zero, 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 zero. zero. Just the, shoot the, everything. The most, the most that we would rehearse is Jay was really, really great at at finding a kind of discipline for us to just run lines beforehand right. because he, he he really has a professional background in that. And so him and Glenn specifically would have ways of just kind of figuring out the words. But the words in some ways are kind of unimportant. Like once we had the flow, these guys could just go. Yeah. And then we would just shoot. We would basically shoot until everybody was tired. And normally that was only about four or five takes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, it really works. Congratulations Thank on Thank it. Thank you. It's that was so much fun talking to you, Richard. Such a cool movie. Appreciate and that. I'm so happy for, but like when I was starting to read the stuff out of Berlin, yeah. I was just like, dude. Oh, awesome. So, Thank I'm you. I'm just so happy for you both. Thanks. Yeah. Very nice to you, Richard. Yeah. Thank you so much for the kind words. And thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a huge honor. Oh, listen, listen. If I, if this was easy for me. I didn't really have to do anything. Just, you know. Uh, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah, what can I do for you? Okay, picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing. There is a free wireless internet signal all across North America, and nobody has figured out how to use it. It's like the Force. Sorry, have you seen Star Wars? No. That guy is sketchy. I don't think he's sketchy. The guy's a shark. I know how to market it, and I know who we can sell it to. But I want 50% of the company, and I've got to be CEO. I don't know who you think you are, but deal. That was so much fun. That was Matt Johnson and Jay Baruchel from the movie Blackberry. It's in theaters on May 9th. A big thanks to those guys. Also, a big thanks to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon.